Hi, I'm Marilyn Dennis. This is Marilyn Dennis Does a Podcast. Just imagine you're in a very famous Canadian band. You meet the girl of your dreams, but the party becomes too much, and she almost leaves you. So you make a decision that day, that moment, I'm not leaving my wife and kids. This is the story behind the book, One Good Reason, a journey of addiction and recovery, music and love. In this podcast, I'll be speaking with co-authors of this deeply personal book, Sean McCann and his wife, Andrea Aragon. You know Sean as the founder of the iconic Canadian band, Great Big C. They sang hits like, When I'm Up, I Can't Get Down, and Run, Run Away. Hopefully, our conversation will help you have the conversation that you've been hesitating to have with a friend or a family member or even yourself. Okay, let's talk to Sean and Andrea. Hi. Nice to have you. They've come together to write a very fascinating book. It's called One Good Reason. And I'll tell you something, we've got so much to talk about. Uh, This is just, I'm just doing the One Good Reason part of it. The full title is Sean. One Good Reason, a memoir of music and recovery and love. Addiction. Addiction and love. I don't know. I don't remember. It's it's a, a memoir of addiction and recovery, music and love. And I love the fact that you you didn't even know that either. I just said to you before we started, I love the cover. It's so wonderful. Who came up with this idea? That was my idea. I uh, When we started down this path and we, uh, we got Andre involved and on board, I wanted her with me every step of the way from then on in. And that included the cover. That's so great. Well, congratulations. You've got a bestseller on your hands. What was it like when you got it in your hands for the first time? No, it was pretty spectacular. I uh, I think Sean filmed me and we put it on his website. It was, mm. I don't want to say it was like giving birth, but you know, it was a long process. It was a two year gestation period. <laughs> and so when we finally got it, it was very exciting. And it was like, Whoa! it was that moment of a big breath came out and Sigh. Books are hard. They're long. Yeah. They're long projects. Uh, the first year I wrote it, first it was going to be just me, and then it felt like it wasn't finished. And um, Andrea had been keeping a journal all her life, really, and she had remembered in real time some of the episodes I was trying to deal with in the book. And when she showed me those uh, those journals, I realized that she belonged. We belonged together in the book, and that this really was the story of our marriage. And the only way to tell it would be together. So with this book, unfortunately, there's no book tour because of the pandemic. Um, We are doing more of these interviews with you. And I I almost like this fact that I get to see you at your home and see you with your wife and talk about the really the two year kind of project that you had. You live with that book for two years. I mean, don't you? This is a part of your life every day. Yeah, that book was a battle for me. Yeah. As a songwriter, I've trained myself my entire life to condense big stories into 14-line sonnets with singable choruses, and uh, it's more of a poetry exercise. But to go to long form was was just using different muscles and very challenging. Of course, and of course, you know, revisiting in detail uh, some of the things I do in the book was very, very difficult. Uh, I wouldn't have been able to do it alone. Yeah, I, I bet not. And we are going to revisit them again. But you're so forthcoming with all the events that happened to not only you, but you and Andrea. Uh, you were raised in Newfoundland? Yes, I'm from uh, a little town called Carbonier. I was born in and I was raised in St. John's. 
Uh, and Newfoundland, for those who don't know, is kind of divided into two areas, uh, the city-state of St. John's, where townies live, and everywhere else, which are the outports around the coast, uh, where everyone else is known as Bayman, affectionately. And I was raised in both because uh, I transitioned both both locations just by merit of my parents getting jobs in the town. So I got to grow up in small boats and uh, with the university. And Andrea, where are you from? I'm originally from, well, I was born in Utah in the States, and then I was raised in Minnesota. But I've moved all over. And then, <laughs> yeah, you moved all over. Are, are you an Army brat, or is just is that right? Or no, where, how come you moved so much? Didn't like to settle down, I guess. <laughs> I went to college <laughs> in then back in Minnesota, then moved to Colorado, then, then to Newfoundland. So It's very brave. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you, she's an adventurer. She's a risk taker. Let's go back to Great Big C and let's talk, Sean, about how that iconic Canadian band got started. Tell us that story. We were born out of the Cod Moratorium of 1992. Uh, you know, after 500 years of fishing, you know, we fished, we caught all the fish. And it was our single, uh, at the time, it was our single economy based uh, industry. And we really, Newfoundlanders were leaving in droves and, um, we all had our just finished degrees and we all had arts degrees, which meant we were functionally unemployable, especially in Newfoundland. And we just really wanted to give it a go. I mean, we we learned enough to know that pursuing your dreams is worthwhile. And we were young enough and fearless enough and just crazy enough, to be honest, to give it a shot. And at the time, so there was that desperation motivation. But at the time, there was a lot of interest in Celtic music. There was a resurgence in folk music with bands like the Pogues. Um, and um, bands like that out of England, um, the Water Boys. There was just a lot of um, interest in it. And, and major record companies in Toronto were in, in the East Coast signing. First it was Ashley McIsaac, the Irish Descendants. Then it was right. us, Natalie McIntyre. So we ended up, yeah. we just got lucky that way, uh, up with a record deal. And that, that I remember at first the guys from Warner Music they gave us, you know, our record advance, and they said, "When are you moving to Toronto?" And we said, "No, we're we're going to spend that on houses here at St. John's." <laughs> That's our <laughs> Those are great names from the past, um, and partying was a big part of your lifestyle. Yeah, we had a as Newfoundlanders in particular. We we uh, I think Great Big C coined the term uh, kitchen party, and I think it was at a much music clip trip. I convinced Denise Donlin to send a, a crew to Newfoundland to film us, even though we had no video for her to play at the time. But I was, uh, I was that confident we would get to that point. And uh, that was the brand that we focused on. And there was a strong push once, once the Cod Moratorium uh, began. Uh, tourism became the new buzzword, and we jumped on board of that. We understood what the Kitchen Party brand could be. Uh, it was a feel-good brand of partying mm -hmm. and, you know, when we traveled across Canada, everyone wanted to drink with us and party with us, the guys from Newfoundland. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then we got to uh, talk about uh, Andrea. Where did she come into this story of Great Big C? How did you two meet? In a bar. You're so after cute together. <laughs> it's a very <laughs> big surprise. <laughs> Yeah. Very Say that again. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. It's a one night stand. Your only one night very... stand it was with this guy. <laughs> yeah, it was a very unsuccessful one night stand. Well, maybe it was the most successful one night stand. Maybe. I mean, you know, the one night stand that never ended. That's what marriage is, isn't it? 
<laughs> How many years have you been married? 45. Yeah. yeah. I, no. <laughs> uh, 15. Yeah, we'll be 15 this year. That's pretty amazing. Okay, here's the story. You met in Vail, Colorado. Okay. You went to go see your favorite band, but um, uh, uh, but also Great Big C was playing. Am I right? Yep. Yeah, you we never were not heard the of yeah, No, no, yeah. I went to go see another band called the Young Dubliners out of, I think they're out of California. And uh, I didn't even, uh -huh. I didn't even know there were two other bands playing. And then I saw him yeah. on stage. So, <laughs> so what, what, very handsome guy, what is it about him that you saw on stage that you went, hello? Well, I mean, on stage, what I saw was that he was hot. So <laughs> don't make me say this in front of him. No, that, that's <laughs> Do you remember those yeah. feelings? I'm for this later yeah. on. We're in, we're in isolation, Marilyn. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't mean okay. distancing in the house. Um, okay, and okay. As I got to speak to him, I could see we just really clicked. I mean, we were both very drunk, but we just really clicked. And, you know, then I dragged him to, back to my apartment and mm -hmm. he sang for me, which always works. <laughs> what does do you remember? The, do you remember the song that you sang to her? Yeah, it was Bob Marley's redemption song. Oh, were you asking me or him? He might not I remember. I wouldn't remember, but <laughs> he doesn't remember song. women. No. He, men don't remember that stuff. Women do. I was asking you. You're absolutely right, Andrea. And then yeah. uh, after that night, he had to go back on the road. But you did something really nice, Sean. Andrea, what did he do? He, he left a note. The, yeah, the, in the the one book on my bedside table, he left a note. We still have the book. It's here somewhere. Yeah. And he uh, said, you're an angel. I will see you again, XOXO, Mr. Yellowshirt, because that was our nickname for him. But I wasn't brave enough to leave my phone number no. or anything like that. Coward. Coward. So Coward how did you get reconnected? How did you get reconnected? Everybody wants Andrea to know that. Sent me this amazing letter. It was like 12 pages long, <laughs> but it was a beautiful letter, a very convincing letter. And uh, the, what was crazy to me and what spoke to me about it we, our great big studio is right across the street from the uh, post office on Water Street in St. John's. I think it's still there. And uh, at the time, we had transitioned into email. Uh, so a lot of our fan mail, like physical mail, had just built up because we had neglected to pick it up. And one day, uh, I guess it was a month after this we'd met, uh, Alan was walking past the post office. And the, the postmaster guy came out. And he was kind of mad at us and said, you guys need to pick this. And he had a bag of mail. He looked like Santa Claus. And uh, so Alan came in and said, the guy's really mad at us. We got to open this mail. Here's what it is. And he dumped it out on the floor. And uh, start, we started to go through this physical mail that we hadn't read in a year and really had forgotten about. And uh, he picked up this letter and passed it to me. He said, I think you want to read this. I think this is for you. Wow. <laughs> so the wow. letter... The fact that I, it ended up in my hands was quite remarkable and very unlikely. Mm -hmm. So I, I saw it as more than a coincidence, and I, I paid attention when I opened it. Yeah, and see, those, those, that's the universe talking for sure. So now, eventually, Andrea, you guys connect. You uh, move to Newfoundland. Am I right? You move. You're yep. on the road with them. Yeah, yep. things are good. Uh, life is good. It's one big party. Um, I mean, it's one big party. Uh, that's no doubt about it. When did you notice that Sean had a drinking problem? Jeez, that's a really good question. I don't. I don't think it was 
one specific event. I, it was after mm-hmm. I, I know it was after I got pregnant with Keegan and I, I was obviously done drinking and couldn't go out with him anymore, but he was still kept going out and, and drinking as much and, or having people over. I do think the straw, and I don't even know that this story made it into the book, but uh, the straw for me was when he brought home some random person who he knew, but I didn't know. And it was two or three in the morning Mm -hmm. and I was five or six months pregnant or something like that. And he brought him home and he said, I got to take this. And he was very, very drunk. And he said, I got to take this guy to the detox. And he just assaulted his wife and, or, you know, some big story. And he's like, do you want to meet him? And I'm mm-hmm. thinking, I'm your pregnant wife. And you want to bring this stranger who's just as intoxicated, who potentially just assaulted somebody in the house. And I was like, I can't do this anymore. But, you know, that was w- one of many incidences until mm-hmm. he actually stopped drinking. I, I kind of remember that, not the details of that, but I remember the person that I was trying to help that night and I did bring him to detox. And I remember when I, cause it was physically, it was only about a kilometer from our house. I walked him to detox like late at night, early in the morning and he checked himself in. And then the nurse looked at me and said, are you ready to check in too? <laughs> cause I, you know, and I'm like, no, of course I don't have a problem, but I did, you know, and, um, and, you know, I just remembering now that that, that particular person uh, succumbed to his addiction and passed away just a couple of months ago. He ended up in, uh, in Toronto, uh, homeless, and uh, he's gone. I'm so sorry to hear that. I'm just extremely lucky, and I know how lucky I am just yeah. to be here. Well, I have to tell you, the fact that you even remember that incident as you, you want to check in, too, is, is, is an amazing thing right there. Um, and the fact that um, the, it speaks so highly of you uh, that you kept in touch with this person who was not well. And um, unfortunately, um, he, he didn't make it. I, I also know that from your, your book that um, when you, uh, Andrea, were having your second child or you were in childbirth, there was a story about that, too, where you didn't see your husband for a while. And, you know, Sean, when I'm looking at you. I'm thinking about you living all this sort of thing when you're writing the book and then people like myself interviewing you. I, it's almost like I don't want you in the room talking about this, but you're so forthcoming. I kind of feel as an interviewer uncomfortable because I'm going to bring it up again, another kind of episode, but I know that's going to help people to understand a little bit more. Am I right? You're absolutely right. And I appreciate that. And uh, actually you're the first person to actually put it that way. Uh, which is very insightful and speaks to you as a, as an interviewer. But I, you know, I've done the work and uh, I'm ready for this. And I think it's important that I can do this. Uh, one of the big things I've learned is that people defer dealing with their problems until they're able to see that it'll be okay. And uh, that's how I was able to face my truth. I saw people, confront their truth in front of people and make themselves vulnerable. And they didn't, they weren't destroyed by it. The opposite actually happened. They became stronger. So there's a purpose here. And, and I've also learned that having a purpose in your life is, uh, is essential to remaining sober in my case. So I appreciate these right. questions and, uh, you know, they're, they're, uh, they're necessary. And, and mm-hmm. if anything, they'll make me feel stronger today. You know, it's interesting because, um, when we get out of the dark and we have a conversation and, and, and it's a tough conversation to have, 
sometimes these conversations turn into ultimatums, um, which in, in this case, from your story, that was the case. Uh, Andrea, you had said to Sean, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, that if this doesn't stop, then I have to leave with our sons. Am I, am I correct in saying that? Yeah, that's exactly what I said. I, uh, you know, we had come to a, a final head and I was, I was not going to allow my boys to see that this was the life that they should expect, that mm-hmm. they should, this is the kind of partner they should expect. Um, and I was, I was frankly sick of him making promises of quitting and not quitting. So when I told him that it was the first time I had really ever vocalized that I was leaving with the children if he did not stop. And he took it to heart. Yeah, (laughs) he did. So Sean, uh, you hear those words, you hear those words and then decisions are made. Yeah, that was what I needed. I mean, I'd failed. You're right. I tried and failed many times. I knew I had a problem. Uh, I wasn't dealing with the truth underlying the problem and the cause of it, but I, I, you know, I stupidly believe that I, without doing that, I just stop and I failed and failed and failed. And um, so I just, this was the motivation. I mean, the threat of losing everything you actually love is, is a, is, is a great fright to get. And um, it worked. It worked. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's what I needed, you know, and I, you know, sobriety is not an easy thing to do uh, when you're an addict, but it's, you're, you're, we are all capable of it. And it's just really hard work. And, People always ask me, and I, when I work with addicts in particular, how was it you're successful? How did you overcome this? And the simplest answer is that I just didn't give up. You know, once I once I made my decision and I really embraced it, you know, that was it. We were going to do it. And and success is often just just persistence. And uh, motivation is helpful. And you know, I did the work though. I dug in and I started to. People drink and use drugs for reasons. And and so did I. I was sexually abused by my priest when I was a teenager, and I had to get at that. That was what started me on this path. He poured my first drink, and this is where we had to go, this this place, and uh, and dig it up and pick it apart. And uh, I did. And that's how did I'm Did you know so- about that? Yeah, did you know about that situation, Andrea? Had he ever spoken to you about that dark time in his life? He had spoken to me about the priest in terms of an emotional abuse, but, and I had my suspicions, but I had, had mm. never confronted him in a sober way about a physical abuse. I did know mm. that there was something more sinister that had happened. I also knew having, having gone through my own issues and had, had to you know walk through my own darkness that he was mm. going to have to come to it on his own. I, I could not, mm. I could just provide an open space. I, I couldn't right. drive him along. So right, right. I was pretty, right. pretty shocked and surprised when he disclosed at the London Recovery Breakfast. I was yeah. very proud, too. And I, I mean, I yeah. saw a young man, Paulio Byrne, his name was, he's a friend of mine, fellow addict, and he, uh, he got up and spoke before me, and he just told his truth frankly and directly, and he made himself so vulnerable, and he just, it just, it didn't destroy him. It made him, it made him, stronger and uh, I saw it happen I saw a person be successful and it showed me how to do it and uh, that's why I do what I do today you know I know it has a positive effect and the goal is to really put an end to the cycle of trauma and uh, and give people an opportunity Mm. to to recover and live their real lives I do not having suffered through addiction for 35 years I don't wish it on anybody never and if I can do I can help one person 
this book is worth it. So November 9th, 2011 is a big day in your life. Yeah, that's the day I got the ultimatum. And, uh, you know, it's a day that uh, as an addict, I kind of celebrate and, you know, it's, it's a victory for me in many ways, but it's also one of the worst days of Andrea's life, of our lives. Mm-hmm. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, it was something we had to live through, but it's a double-edged sword. There's, 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 you know, there's the success of, of continued sobriety. That's eight years. On This will be eight years for me or nine. nine. <laughs> so, so it's, you know, th- there is that. But, you know, it's, it's hard to go through that day without remembering how we got here. And uh, that starts at the beginning. Yeah. When that day go, comes up on the calendar, is it just, do you, do you, do you acknowledge it or do you just know it's November 9th? I acknowledge it. I have to take it, you know, like this is a big, this is a big deal for an addict, but I, I also can't just, it's not all party. It's like, let's re- remember why this happened and how it happened. But that's, more, that's the power of the day. Yeah. You yes. know, it's like, it's almost like uh, looking how you remember uh, battles and wars. And that's one, that's one that we, there was, you know, there was great sacrifice that day, but we won that battle. Yeah. I think it wasn't until I wrote my part in the book that he realized that that wasn't a great day for me. I mean, it is in the whole scheme of things, but that actual right. day and that actual event was, it was devastating. Like my world crumbled. Of course. Of yeah. course. And that's why so, in the book, like some of the stuff she writes in the book, when I read it first, it was like reading a big impact statement. And a lot of big publishers passed on this book because they couldn't wrap their heads around two voices. And I'm like, we stuck to our guns. What she brought to the table was really raw and really accurate and uh, painful, you know, for me. But it was yeah. it was the truth in its purest form. And uh, that cannot be ignored. That can't be just yeah. we can't work it off and, and call it a celebration and a victory. It's not a true victory if you don't acknowledge the sacrifice that that was incurred. So many questions to ask about that too. Um, you you tried AA and that wasn't what was working for you. Do you want to talk about that a little bit? I went to one AA meeting. I've been to one one more since for a friend, and uh, I I'm just the problem is I, I there's a couple of problems really. I'm not particularly anonymous, so that makes uh, the anonymous community a little nervous around me. <laughs> so I was read the riot act every time I show up, which is fine. But I also I don't. I don't. What do you mean by that? that? What do you mean by that? What do you mean by that? You read the Riot Act about that. Well, the rules of anonymity, you know, and uh, I'm, yes, I'm basically right. warned like we, you're, you're very open, but we are not. And I support mm-hmm. the program in the sense of it's, you know, I think it's a great place. I see what I've learned from AA is that it's a place where people can disclose their truth in a safe environment, and I yes. get that. For me. Given my religious experience, I have a real hard time uh, surrendering to a higher power. You know, I have mm. if I have a higher power now, it's, it's Andrea. <laughs> she's she's the only one I will surrender to. Wow. Uh, so I, you know, I, it doesn't it wasn't a great fit for me, and it wasn't what I needed. What all I needed was my guitar, which I have, and and music is what got me through it. Mm-hmm. And Andrea, I, mean, I found my one good reason that I needed to be sober. Now again, I'm, I think AA is a great program. It's you know it's it's been there a long time, uh, and it's right for a lot of people. Um, and I understand the concept and support that. So it just it's just not something that I rely on. And I, I don't. It didn't. It didn't. It didn't speak to my own recovery. It didn't. Didn't matter that way to mm-hmm. me. Mm-hmm. Do you ever, um, Andrea? Do you ever get worried um, 
that because he doesn't have a meeting or two meetings to go to a week, uh, that you are the person that he um, is answering to. I mean, there's no, there's no, I can't remember what they give it AA, but um, that there, the accountability. I mean, do you worry about, is it like one step out the door? You're worried about that or how does that work for you? Cause I'm sure a lot of people want to know how does that work for the two of you? Yeah. I mean, it was, it was quite a balancing act at first. Um, I had to, I did have to be his only support, but now that he, when he goes out and he, when he can go out again and do shows <laughs> and uh, yeah. speeches, I yeah. see the strength that it gives him. And that is his mm-hmm. meeting. That is where he can be the most vulnerable and he's like, this is what happened to me. Now I'm going to sing my face off and we're all going to sing together and I'm going to feel better coming out of it. So I, it, I don't have that much um, strength in his, in his, not strength. That's the wrong word. I don't have that much responsibility. He's taken mm-hmm. that on now. Mm-hmm. At the beginning, it was really tough. But I bet. like he said, you just don't give up. Mm-hmm. I mean, I had a choice to make. Mm-hmm. Am I going to stick in and be in this really tough space? to try and make it work. And it might not even work, but am I going to try? And I decided, we decided that we were going to give a shot. Yeah, I do. I do. I've stolen the idea. I mean, I, I have my meetings. I just set up my own. They're <laughs> concerts and they're conferences. And, uh, you know, I'm really, that's, that's hard for me right now as it is for everyone, especially addicts, uh, mm. you know, not being able to go to these meetings that I kind of self-direct. Uh, I miss that support now. Now, so it's just particularly challenging now. So I'm, uh, you know, but I'm finding things to do and I'm, I'm working on my music again. The book is, we were promoting the book and we were grateful to have something to do. Um, but, you know, I still have music. Music is is the friend who never left and it's it's still there. That's my sponsor is my guitar, Old Brown. You know, he's he's there whenever I get stuck or I need advice or help or someone to listen to me. I, I have that and I'm lucky and grateful to have it. A couple of questions before I want you to sing a song, because, you know, that's going to happen. You know, that has that, to happen. That's a problem. Um, I want to talk to you very briefly about, although very important, and that's why I want people to read this book. Um, when you told your, your bandmates, Great Big C, um, and then the 20th anniversary, that was a, an opening for you to make some other decisions. So tell me about that experience. I never told them about the abuse, but I, I told them I was going to quit drinking, uh, which they'd heard before and um, mm. many times. But I did take what I did. <laughs> so I, I quit drinking and then we, we embraced on one of the biggest tours of our career, the 20th anniversary tour. And I was mm-hmm. sober on the bus. That, and, you know, I, I'm very proud of having survived that, but it definitely put a lot of strain on our relationship as humans um you know they i don't think anyone's felt that i would be successful yeah. and i had a track record of failure so by the end of it you know that was the end of it. uh to put it short uh, you know it wasn't it wasn't a wise decision in retrospect to be newly in recovery and put myself in a lifestyle that didn't change uh, i mean i, I mean i would make a change I, you know it doesn't mean the world is going to change yeah. And to be in a bus with ten people, you know, on a on a in a in a band like Great Big C, I mean, that was a very risky thing. I was very lucky to get through that, and I did. And uh, but it ultimately, it costs us. It cost me the band, and I just couldn't function. I realized very clearly, 
about halfway through that tour that this was not a place I could remain. And I told the guys, I can't, mm -hmm. I can't do this I'll get to the end, but this will be the end of it for me. I, you know, and we, we got to the end, but just barely, to be honest. Mm -hmm. And, uh, mm -hmm. but you know, it's not a safe environment for me to be. I, I want, I, because of those decisions, and it wasn't an easy decision to make. I made a lot of money in Great Big C, but mm -hmm. your life is more important than money. And I'm still alive. Yeah. I still have my wife and my kids. Uh, I, there's, that's priceless. How are your kids dealing with this book and the release of this book? And, um, I'm sure you had to have a conversation, uh, to, with them about, Here's this information that's coming up because my understanding is Keegan is 14. Finnegan is 11. Yeah. They, um, you know, we've been really open and honest with them through this whole journey. So they've mm -hmm. known what happened to Sean. They've known my history. Um, they didn't know some certain specifics about uh, when Sean actually stopped drinking. And, you know, quite frankly, they didn't care that much about it what they knew is that mom and dad were together we regularly have open you know i don't want to say fights but converse heated conversations so they see us having these um issues mm -hmm. but yet still staying with each other and being loving and happy and you know we're, we're all isolating together so <laughs> we're mm. all together but they, you know they've been great and we did i feel like we did a really good job of preparing them for this yeah, That's we're not going to, kids won't be traumatized by alcoholism, but we'll traumatize them with, <laughs> <laughs> by living so openly. Just pure parenting. Just pure parenting. Just, Before you sing a song, yeah, pure parenting. I, I know the kids want to leave the house too because they're like, okay, enough already. I think back to <laughs> the time of my parents when they were alive, if I had to be in a pandemic in that house, I don't know the outcome. I'm not sure. <laughs> Uh, before you sing a song for us, uh, the both of you, I'm so, uh, it's such a, uh, a pleasure and an honor to talk to both of you um, because of this pandemic and the isolation. Oh, thank you very much. Um, what's some advice, uh, one piece of advice, Andrea, for those that are living with alcoholism uh, and, and the same token, Sean, um, some advice for those that um, maybe have not recognized, but know that there is a problem. So Andrea, I'll start with you first. Um, I would, I would say that's a that's a pretty big question, but I would say you know first and foremost you have to take care of yourself as a human being. Mm -hmm. You can't take care of your partner or whomever is an alcoholic around you. You have to protect and take care of yourself, and then make your decisions based on that. And that is probably the one piece of advice I can give. Yeah, and Sean, and if, well, if you think you have a problem, in my experience, if you think you have a problem, you do have a problem. Yeah. If you have to ask that question more than once of, your, of yourself and you lose control and mm -hmm. you definitely have a problem, you know, and, uh, and, and in this time, you know, in this pandemic time, this, when we're all isolated in this way, it's a very yeah. dangerous time to be flirting with, with that kind of question in your mind. So if you have mm -hmm. any doubt, my advice would be just don't, just don't to oh. see, see if you can live with don't, don't drink, oh. don't use drugs. This is a, you know, you're sitting, we have all this abundance of time in our hands and high anxiety. This is a recipe for disaster. And, you know, mm -hmm. I was shocked when we started down this very quickly, uh, cannabis and liquor stores were deemed to be essential services. And I was shocked by that as an addict, you know, and just as a citizen, why are they essential? They're not groceries. And uh, Dr. Teresa Tam got on the news one night and, and explained it. It's like, we can't, if we cut off the supply right now, 
our mm-hmm. our health system would be overrun. The, the effect mm-hmm. would be, and she also added that, you know, we have as a society a, a far bigger dependency problem that we, than we than we've had to face before, or are willing to admit. So it's a prevalent, it's, a, it's an issue that affects so many people, and this is a very vulnerable time, so we have to be careful now. Uh, err on caution. If you have any doubts, just read a book instead. In fact, read our book. Yep. Read your book. Again, there's the book right there. I love it. I love it. I do like one thing before you say, the only way to defeat a secret is to tell it. And I love that. Absolutely. What song are you going to sing for us to take us out there? Sean McCann. I'm singing, this is the first song I, I wrote as a sober person, and uh, I'll sing mm-hmm. it I, every time I sing it. It's and it's meant to be sung along with. So Marilyn, you're gonna you have a role to play here, <laughs> and you'll know your part when I get to it. Okay. okay. <laughs> Been a long time now since you left me here alone, but I don't mind because I have grown and I feel all right. Something must be wrong. Gonna take my time, gonna sing my song, cause I am stronger. That's your part. It was one big lie, now I can't believe my eyes. But I'm not the kind who lay down and die. You can fool me once, that's on me. But try it twice, and you will see. Everybody, because I am stronger, better every day. I am stronger, and I've got something to say. I am stronger, stronger, than the sea. I am stronger than I ever used to be. When it all comes down, you'll be nowhere to be found. But I'll be standing here, I'll still be around, and I'll take this old guitar, and I'll fill it with my heart, and I'll show the world I'm ready to make a brand new start, cause I am stronger, stronger, better every day, I am stronger, stronger, and I've got thing to say, I am stronger. Deeper than the sea, I am stronger than I ever used to be. I am stronger, brighter than the sun. I am stronger, and I've only just begun. I am stronger, better every day. I am stronger, and I've got something to say. Good singing. Thank you so much. If you need a background singer on your solo career, Andrea and I are very available. Totally. You're hired. I can't wait to come to Toronto and be in your studio and sing for you live because we'll start a band. You and ah, me. You're on. You're on. Hey, Sean and Andrea, thank you so much for sharing your story. And Sean, I know that you give speeches and whatever. Where can people follow you? Uh, I'm on Twitter and Facebook, Sean McCann Sings. Uh, my, vo- my website is SeanMcCannSings.com. I don't have a manager or agent or anything. I'm pretty unmanageable. Andrea is my higher power. Uh, love to come out and I can't wait to get back out and be. I really miss being face to face. I think there's great power in singing with people. And uh, so we'll get through this. And on the other side of it, I'm going to come visit you in Toronto. We're going to sing again and everywhere else that invites me. But yeah, I'm out there. 
come come see me. Come call me. Send me an email. Uh, I'll answer you. Okay, we will for sure. And I give you a virtual hug and I thank you for sharing your story with us and uh, congratulations on a best-selling book. It's going to help a lot of people and that's the most important thing too. Have a wonderful day. Please stay safe and much love to you and the boys and we'll talk soon. Thank you very much. Much love to you too, Marilyn. Have a great day. Marilyn Dennis does a podcast. New episodes every week. You can download or subscribe on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts.